The Chicago Bears get set to take on the Kansas City Chiefs after a wild, wild newsworthy Wednesday afternoon that has left most Bears fans' heads spinning. Nick and I catch you up on all the drama as well as every matchup you need to know about on this episode of Bear With Us. What's going on, everybody? My name is Robert Schmitz. I'm the editor-in-chief of DeBear's blog, here with Nick Whalen of Football Guys. And you know, Nick, normally we like to tie a little bow and wrap up the last week before moving into the next week's matchups. And oh my word, did the Bears give us a massive, massive bunch of stuff to go through today. You want to talk us through everything that happened on this outrageously newsworthy Wednesday afternoon? Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I actually had a conference today for work, so I was gone for half of it. You know, thought I was going to have a good little Wednesday, you know, and then we were going to record later. And then it's been on the field, off the field, just so many things that um, honestly, it's hard to keep up. So um, let's just start with, I think, the um, uh, most surprising news. I, I Actually, I can't even say that all of this is surprising. All news. of it's surprising. So. So Braxton Jones, uh, arguably the best O-lineman we've had thus far, debatable between him and Darnell Wright. Um, he's on IR now with a neck injury that, from what Iberflus had said, occurred after the game. And the part that bothers me, Robert, with that is you immediately put him on IR for neck injury. So if it's, if it's something that's bothering him, you would think, okay, we're going to take it a week see how it responds to treatment, whatever automatically taking four weeks off tells me this is a long-term injury. I mean, it's a neck injury. How many, how often do you hear neck injury out for one game? Never. The fact that Tevin came back after getting carted off the field for a neck injury last year, that was unusual. The idea that this might be season injuring or season ending is scary Absolutely, but it's completely out of nowhere. I mean, I'd have thought it was made up if I didn't see it from Kevin Fishbane, Brad Biggs, and hear it straight from Matt Eberflus's mouth, and what a bummer it is. I've seen Braxton Jones get a lot of heat online for the fact that he's not a picture-perfect left tackle, but I'll tell you what, I feel like he made some pretty solid strides, honestly, from last year. He's given us, I feel like, a lot to work with, or he had before he'd gotten hurt, and while the penalties have been way way too many. What is it? Six penalties through two mm-hmm. games in all of the studies I've ever done on offensive linemen. Most linemen never take more than about 15, maybe 16 penalties in an extremely penalized year. And they do tend to even out. So I can't help but feel like cleaner games were coming for Braxton. Hopefully they yep. are yep. coming, but in the meantime, wow, what a loss for this bears offensive line. Yep. Right? So, yeah. So, and then part of that, and I, and I agree with you and that immediately my mind went and I shouldn't go there, but I'm like, okay, then does this mean that we're going to use one of the picks on a left tackle? Cause there's a really good tackle class coming, but we, we don't need to go there. So I guess in the meantime, we have at least four weeks without Braxton Jones as the yep. left tackle. He said, Eberflus, this is indicated Larry Borum potentially as a, as a replacement, even Jatiri Carter has some experience. He's mentioned him as left tackle um, and then potentially Darnell Wright switching from right side to left side, which I know is not ideal, especially when we think of like, you know, remember moving Tyreek Stevenson into the slot. Yep. You want the rookie to get used to a position and now yep. we're going to shift them. So what are your thoughts? What's your best case scenario for left tackle right now? Well, it's probably Borum. 
purely because we know he's played the position and he can be at least a medium serviceable swing tackle. Nick, I don't know how you feel about offensive line, but I have always been anti-move the offensive line. That's mm-hmm. that, I've heard it from enough of these offensive line guys where they're like, once a guy gets a position, move him as little as you possibly can. And I get it. I vibe with that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Especially and, young guys. Especially young guys. And mm-hmm. so when I look at somebody like Jatiree Carter, I'll accept moving him to left guard if that's what has to happen. Or maybe, I don't know, center or something. Purely because if you're on the interior, it's kind of assumed that you're not going to get the perfect position for you. But switching out to tackle, man. Like, especially if, because it's week two, it's week two, we are still, no matter how anybody feels, we're still in the thick of evaluating Justin Fields' third year. You need the best tackle play you can get. And Mm -hmm. while I'm not stoked that Borum's there either, I will take this one tiny little moment to remind everybody that as fun as Jalen Carter might be, because I looked this up and Jalen Carter has more pressures than any other interior defensive lineman in football, largely because he's got more pass rush snaps than most defensive linemen in football. Okay. This, there's a bear on that list, speaking of, but we'll get there later ah, in the show. It's our guy. But it's more to say that if that had happened, if the Bears had gone in the uh, direction of Jalen Carter, they would be they would have already started Larry Borum. So you would be on to Aviante Collins, for potentially the entire freaking season. Like or, you can or, or they would have overpaid for Mike McGlinchey, who is struggling as well. For well, they that, already didn't do it. His name. Right? Like, mm-hmm. so this is the draft. I'm thinking about it from that perspective. They would have had to go sign a true swing tackle, like maybe a Cam Fleming or somebody like that. And maybe that would have been all right. I mean, Riley Reese, remember? Riley, I was gonna say Jason Peters. Where every once in a while you strike gold and you end up with a perfectly decent left tackle just off of the basically the waiver wire. But I mean, I feel so much more comfortable that Poles continues to add at the trenches for reasons exactly like this. Nobody likes thinking about injury. Everybody wants the starters to play the entire season. But this stuff, while it super sucks, happens. And to me, it makes that it shows the soundness of the team building strategy, even in a season where I don't think we're super stoked about the team's results. You know what I'm saying? No, no. And, and and this is part of it too, is that there are teams that get injuries and they still can sustain success. So you want to talk about losing your left tackle. Uh, Teron Armstead has not even played this year and Miami is 2-0 and and they're crushing it. Like you have to find ways. Um, I believe it was Ronnie Stanley didn't play for Baltimore and they st- they just beat Cincinnati. They didn't have Tyler Linderbaum either and they still found ways to win. So this is when you need your guys to find ways to patch holes. I don't care if you have to put Mercedes Lewis over there to chip, to help Borum or right. whoever you put over there. But yeah, we can't let this be the downfall of the offensive line, which one positive news thing from today is Nate Davis was back on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. So he's back. He, uh, he got in, I believe Tuesday night. So he's back practicing today. Um, obviously it was unfortunate news that we had heard. We, we finally heard what happened, um, but he will be back. So that at least will help out at right guard. Can I just jump in and say, by the way, Nick, that I'm profoundly disappointed in the bears PR team because I am amazed Say what you will. There are so many people out there that are going to look and they're going to blame the fans. They're going to blame people that talk about the Bears. But when Nate Davis didn't come to practice, the first question that reporters asked was a blanket question. Hey, why didn't Nate Davis come to practice? And Matt Eberflus, with a big 
scowl on his face said, well, you'll have to ask him about that. Which, what is the cue? Like, nonverbal plus the literal plus coach speak in the past, that is a work ethic problem, right? And it's a negative, yeah. It's, it's a negative and one of those things where we start thinking, oh, well, you know, Nate Davis does he even want to be here. And you and I haven't thought that, but enough people did. And they let that story run. The Bears did nothing. They didn't do what a lot of orgs will do, pull the beat aside, say, hey, look, Nate's got like a family thing going on. So like, mm-hmm. don't press this issue because he really wants to keep it out of the public eye. No, they let it fester. They let it yep. bloom into assaults on the guy's character, et cetera, et cetera. We find out later that he, he's got a legitimate family emergency. And I don't know if you feel the way I do. I feel horrible for him. Because I can't imagine what he was going through. Obviously, it has weighed a lot on him. I thought Mm -hmm. his week one performance, as a hit and miss as it was, the hits were actually what we expected Nate Davis to be. Like, there's real reason to believe that once Nate Davis is practicing a couple weeks in a row, he may very well be the best lineman on the Bears. And that's exactly what we're looking for. And I just... If we end up saying in week five, wow, Nate Davis is really killing it right now. I'm going to nearly forever look back and just feel awful for the way he had to endure the story about him evolving over those first couple weeks of training camp. Well, well, what I think about is, okay, Eberflus organization, you are are the boss. I mean, this is your employee, but, you know, I have a lot of experience being on football teams as, as a coach. And it's a family. And when when you hear that stuff, I know there's certain things like, you know, maybe he's like, hey, I don't want people to talk about it. But you could come to their defense more without saying, hey, this is exactly what's going on with him. And to me, you stick up for your family. And that's one of those things where um, the, the leadership needs to come through more, whether you said PR team, whether it's Poles, who has seemed to be that leader, um, Eberflus, whomever it is, I think you could stick up for him a little bit more and find a crafty way to, 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 I can just like squish out the rumors. So, so, or squash any of the, the, the rumblings, uh, to keep the talk positive for him. Uh, they did send out that one video. If you remember that one video where it was, it seemed like a really intimate conversation between Flus and him. And that helped a little bit, but then played you know against green bay didn't go well and then personal reasons again and then they festered again so they need to do a better job and i'll give you a decent example without we don't need to talk about it too much longer but roquan smith missed a whole game for personal reasons uh what was it 2019 and when asked about it matt Nagy came straight to his defense and was like he's got stuff going on he needs to handle it we are in full support of him and then shut the conversation down and there's no soundbite there Right? Mm -hmm. Like people can say what's going on, but that's it. And that's a really powerful thing, I think, for a when a coach is able to command that situation. Obviously, I'm not coming to too much defense of Matt Nagy. There's (laughs) major reasons that that regime ended the way that it did, but it does start to, you know what? Let's get to the other stories because there's there's a lot. There's an absurd amount of drama that happened. And the fact that all this drama keeps happening is implicitly part of the problem. So let's go story number two, because somehow Braxton Jones wasn't the biggest news of the day. No, no. So, so, and I don't even know which one is the biggest people could, could talk through. So Justin Fields has a press conference today, has lots of press conferences. What did he say? he's, He's one of the stars, right? So in this press conference, he was asked questions. Hey, what's going on? Because, you know, there's all of the, 
you know, me and you see the film, we see issues and they keep yep. asking questions and he starts peeling back layers and they ask him more. Like he talks about, well, um, I, I think I'm trying to be a little bit too much of a perfectionist. So then they, he, they ask little, okay, the more pressing question with that. So then he tries to peel back layers. And he's like, well, you know, I think, you know, there's times when I think I'm, I'm, I'm maybe like overcoached and I'm thinking about what they want me to do and, you know, versus, you know, using that and, and blending it with what I do and, and be more me. And they said, well, is that what happened on the, the when you sacked and fumbled? And he was like, yeah, that, that would be a good example. Like my internal clock said, hey, I need to run. But then, you know, I thought, no, I need to stay in the pocket because that's what we've practiced all off season. And so so he's just having, I think, honestly, a conversation that you would have with one of us. But Justin's forgetting that this is taped and everyone's going to hear it. And what ended up happening is they ended up clipping it. And it's, you know, Justin thinks he's overcoached and just this. So then later, and, and I cannot remember a Bears player ever having another co press conference the same day in the locker room. Doesn't happen probably, often. No. And this is probably the most upset I've seen Justin Fields. And I think it was, I don't think he was inappropriate, but he was firm. And he was saying, I know it's your job to report things. And I, and I was trying to be more honest with you guys and give you more details, but cutting off clips and making this, you know, us versus coaches. That's not what it is. We're all in this together. And if there's anyone to blame, it's me. It's not my teammates fault. It's not a coach's fault. Everything that I do is, is based on me. So um, I know there's some people that will take that one and they're like, well, the coaches told him to have another conference or whoever <laughs> has another. I mean, you can spin this so many different ways, but it was a lot of drama today. And yeah, it was a lot of drama. And Man, I'll tell you what, it's so funny because when I first heard uh, Fields' comments, probably like nearly everybody that listened to the presser, even read the full quotes in the presser, you look at those comments and you go, I mean, yeah, he's got a point. Like, yeah. I don't think Fields was wrong when he talked about nearly any of it. And yet, you get analysts like Dan Orlovsky, I saw Taylor Lewan talk about this, where they say, you're a quarterback, you just don't do that. And I can't help but think, Nick, that both things can be a little bit true. I mean, these are the kinds of comments that, I mean, goodness, you give the media, like, I, I love the media. I want to be a part of the media at some point in my life. But this is kind of how it goes. You give yeah. the media a firecracker, a piece of flint, and they're going to light a fire because mm. that's kind of the job. I, there was a point where I set Lions Twitter on fire because Brad, uh, what was his name? Dan, nope, the, uh, Brad Holmes, Brad Holmes, the Lions Brad GM Holmes. talked about accountability in reference to Jamison Williams. And I cocked my head and went, why are we talking about accountability for a first round pick on a lollipop question? I mean, this is just kind of the job. And I yeah. say that, I guess, just to... Tell a personal story about how in trying to do the job, of course, you find an interesting storyline like Justin Fields thinks he's overcoached, which is a yep. word that nearly every single Bears fan has used over the last 24 hours, probably three or four times when talking about the Bears to other people. So it's like Justin Fields just affirmed what I think <laughs> or Justin Fields just affirmed me. And it, I can't imagine that the coaches liked it very much, oh, just no. to be honest with you. No. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, on, on this pod, we talked about how it's like the golf swing. And it's like, okay, yes. Justin, it's not about, okay, just, just rotate your wrist right at contact. It's okay, do this, and then your feet have to do this, and then your the, the, the plane, right, where the club has to be here Absolutely. and your head down. Like, and so that he, and he, I think he said robot, but like this is kind of what all we thought. And 
I think he just forgot he was in front of the media. And and in my mind, Justin's just being nice. He's just trying to peel back the layers without it, with just being honest, like, hey, I need to be better and probably be more me and this and that. And I I wonder, and, and a couple of years ago, we know this guy that did this. I wonder if he's going to get cold with the media now and it's going to be a lot less details because he's already, um, I mean, he's not happy when he's up there. I know that we're not winning, but he's never been a guy that's like smiley, like, oh, hey, let's do this, you know. But um, I wonder if he's just going to be a lot, you know, vanilla with his answers and the Marshawn Lynch of, well, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Like, and 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 that's that's part of the process. That's what happened to Marshawn. Like people ran with things and now he's like, okay, this I'm just going to be very simple because I don't want to stir up any drama. Well, in nearly seven months of waiting between the 2022 season and the 2023 season had somehow helped me forget that the Bears are on a 12-game losing streak. So to your point, there's just not much good you can give the media right now, which of course is going to only build further hostility between Mm -hmm. the players and the media because the media feels like they're not getting anything with which they can do their job. It's I wouldn't want to be in that room either. Based on no. the people that I've talked to, especially d- near the end of the Nagy era, it's not a fun. It's not a fun place to be when things no. aren't going well. A rising tide in football lifts all boats. Media definitely included. I do yeah. think, just in case you're out there thinking this, it does need to be said. The media does not want the Bears to lose. The media does not like writing negative articles about the Bears. Positive things get you the numbers. It, much, much better than negative pieces, Nick. You've seen it. I'm sure every content creator has. Everybody wants these bears to win. It th- it breaks all of our hearts when they don't or when they don't show signs of winning. I think it was probably the right move for, I, I don't know. I say that. Now I feel like a corporate crony. I think it was fine for Justin Fields to said what he said, to, to say what he said. And then you got to back it up on Sunday and you got to back it up on the Sunday after that. There's not really a choice. Cats out of the bag, second presser or not. You got to show up and you got to play. Now, there's one question I want to ask you. When Justin Fields says, I'm going to go out and this one I can quote, play with an effort mentality. How much do you think that affects his play? Where do you think you will see a change? If you were going to tell people, hey, watch for this. What do you think he's going to do differently? To me, I think he's going to go, okay, one to two with my reads and then he's just going to run. Or he's going to just... Hey, I'm going to, when we saw this in the preseason game, I'm going to force some balls to, to more just because I want to. I mean, I know people talk about the turnovers from last game, and, and we'll probably talk more about him later with all that film stuff. But like, he's been careful. Like his two turnovers have been over the middle, which he doesn't throw to a lot. And the one at the end to, to Claypool, like who really cares? And, and the screen has been talked about a ton. But like, he hasn't had a ton of like, turnover worthy plays even though he's had some turnovers so we actually could see potentially more turnovers but also more big plays with him just being like you know what i'm just going to grip it and rip it right in the name of being objective objective there's no other way to describe some of the sacks that fields took on wednesday or two whoa on week two other than heinous you know, I mean, you it, could Nick. Say he got a sack on Wednesday without media, you know, he got basically, sack. but like <laughs> the, the four and a half to five second sacks, like if those happen in high school, you're going to get in that kid's ear and you're going to say, I see one more of those and I'm yep. going to never let you play again. Like they're bad. They're bad. You can't play quarterback like that. Yep. And I can't help but think Nick that the effort stuff, cause I've seen a lot of people that are, are applying that like, like you're saying to Well, Fields is going to dart through his reads. This is going to make Fields anticipate more. And I'm like, I think if Fields was going to anticipate more, he would have already done it. 
Like, it would have happened within the structure of the play, and we wouldn't have needed to get here. We are probably going to get some more scrambles, but it wouldn't surprise me if we're basically going to wind the clock back to, what would you say, about week 13? Week week 15, maybe? Where it's like, going to drop back in the pocket. If I don't like what I see, I'm going to run. And I hope that's enough for Fields to make a statement. Because you're going up against the Chiefs. Like, you're going to be Mm -hmm. in a lot of must-pass situations. And if they do what Todd Bowles did, which we can talk about later, just kind of giving up on the blitz and dropping into a bunch of spot drop zones and trying to confuse Justin, then it's not going to fix the bigger issues. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, of course, getting strip sacked after nearly five and a half seconds of pocket time, that sucks. But it's what happened in the first three seconds that I really care about. After that, I'm bummed it worked out that way i don't know i'm rooting for fields i hope for the best from him this situation is getting really toxic i -hmm. feel like and if i was a co-worker in this setting i wouldn't do my best work either and so as all eyes fall on him and as pressure builds i hope he's ready for the moment because it's it may not get easier does that make sense no, no, these next few weeks are going to be really, really important. I mean, he's going to have to have, I mean, that first 300-yard passing game or multiple three-touchdown game, two passing, one rushing, whatever. That, that That's going to have to happen. So the and let's, other- let's talk about that because, yes, sure. yes, yes, we need to talk about Allen Williams. We are going to get there. But I know there's somebody out there that Nick thinks that we, we along with everybody else, are being massively hyperbolic. It's only week two. Why on earth are we putting so much pressure on a stupid week three game against defending Super Bowl champions? I don't disagree with you, but it feels like the person who says that. But Nick, it feels to me like the Bears are rattled and we know what teams do when they're rattled. Like, let me ask you this. If you woke up tomorrow and you forgot what day it was, but for some reason you decided you were going to figure out roughly what day it was by looking at Bears Twitter and the Bears themselves and seeing what everybody was saying about the team. What week of the season do you think we'd be in right now? 15, 16, 17? So do I. It feels like end of the season stuff. And at the end of a bad season, people bench the quarterback and they play the rookie quarterback. And like that's a conversation topic because Nathan Peterman just got cut. So now Tyson Bajan is the plain Jane number two. You don't mm-hmm. have to use the court. You don't have to invoke the quarterback three rule to promote Tyson Bajan onto the playing roster and then play him. You can just play him whenever anything happens. You could call yep. it an injury and you could be lying if you wanted to. Right. And I mean, the moment I mean, Bajan comes it, in. Well, that, that was news today too. The Peterman cut was today. So like that was that's like the, the smallest note. And it's also like- Happy birthday, Ryan. Roster spot for a reason. Like, why are they doing this? And I just- I think it's ridiculous too. I actually blame, if you don't mind me saying so, I think I think it's an indictment on the leadership in this organization that it is so, so out of control, so fast. We're 0-2. So many orgs are 0-2 right now. The Houston yep. Texans are not spiraling. The Cardinals aren't spiraling. Like the Panthers who traded for a t- or who just traded their first round a pick away from a quarterback who's really struggling without receivers, like they're better put together than the Bears are, who in theory, Nick, if you just sucked it up and you got some decent quarterback play, you could easily stack a couple wins before yep. now in the end of the season. The team does actually look talented enough on film, but they're a mess. They're a total mess. And I just, am I being 
irrational and melodramatic? Or do you get the same vibes I do that people are freaking out and they're yeah. about to start making freaked out decisions? Yeah, no, I and it, it, and it feels that way kind of in the game too, because it's like uh, good teams, they, they, they step up when, when needed and it's like, okay, they, they, they scored and then Tampa like, boom, came right back. It's like, if you were going to be any kind of like any team at some point, you're going to like, give us the chance and not let Mike Evans go deep again, or let, you know, Baker get out of the sack again. Like, like you have to stack some of these things to get the momentum and we have none of the momentum. So then it's like, I've been on teams, Robert, where, well, there's, there's one season I was on a, a college team. We were six and one, and then we lost four games in a row. And during that losing streak, it was a lot of finger pointing. And and it was interesting for me just to hear it and just to see like, you know, players and coaches and just negative energy. And that's the energy I feel right now with Chicago. I mean, they've lost 12 games in a row. And maybe they feel that, uh, that these two games are more of an extension of last year. And I mean, we're the fans. Like, of course, there are going to be points where we just go bananas. I, mm-hmm. I would always argue we care about the Green Bay game more than the players do. Not They care more about the NFL football game. We care more about the Packer matchup, yeah. if that makes right. sense. Like, oh, yeah. they, they win. They win the careometer because it's an NFL football game and that is their livelihood. But us fans, if we're at a six for most games, we're at a 40 for the Packers game and just blow through the scale. But I digress because like you mentioned, the Justin Fields part, you could debate. It's the second most salacious thing that happened in the Bears world today. You want to get into the last one? Uh, This last one is just, it's just touchy. And this is, and this is again, just how, how I handle my business. So I'm just going to talk slightly about it and I'm not going to speculate because there's a lot of speculating about Alan Williams resigned today. So if people don't remember after the green Bay game, also around the same time that Nate Davis was like left the team for personal reasons, Alan Williams did as well. And so Eberflus took over as defensive coordinator for this last game. And we saw some different, you know, different wrinkles going on. Um, but uh, it came out today. He released a statement of um, his own health and family reasons. And he hopes they can get back into coaching um, again, you know, later. I don't know if that means this year, if that means in future years, whatever, but he has resigned from Chicago and there was rumors and things going on on Twitter. And I just, and again, like, I think I talked about this on uh, our last pod, but I mean, he's a person and like, I'm not going to yep. retweet or assume or whatever, because I don't know. And I don't want to lead into if, something ever happened to me or to you, Robert, where someone's just going to speculate, oh yeah, I heard Robert did this and boom, sends off into the internet and then it just goes yep. like, that. that's not who I am. So I don't know what happened. I hope that um, he is okay. I hope his family is okay. I hope that no one else is hurt with what happened. But yeah, Al Williams is no longer a part of uh, the Chicago Bears. And from the human side, I'm 100% with you. I mean, my hopefully we get a resolution on this one way or another. Because obviously there's some strange details in this, like the fact that the Bears released a statement saying that they accepted the resignation of Alan Williams and he's no longer with the team. There wasn't your customary thank you or whatever. Alan Williams lawyered up, which seems like an unusual thing to do on a Wednesday when you resign in the middle of a football season for health reasons. But we'll we'll see. I'm going to leave it at that. 
I'm going to leave it at that because it's not long ago that we saw people writing up big, big tweets, like a thousand characters on what really happened between Nate Davis and Matt Eberflus. And it comes across like complete fan fiction. We saw today a bunch of unbelievable details that were not believable and ended up so far based on current reports not being true. I would advise everybody listening to this not to dwell on it because the football side is terrible. This is about the worst thing. I don't know if you feel the way that I do, but like, yes, it's neat in theory that your head coach is taking over for defense and maybe the defense plays a little better, but like this puts you at DEFCON 2 pretty fast, right, Mm -hmm. Nick? Where like your defensive coordinator, the heart and soul of your defense is gone and it doesn't seem like anybody knows why. And that from a relational perspective, from an on-field football perspective, that's going to, I mean, let's use a Zoomer term, right? Let's get in with Gen Z. The vibes are off. And when the vibes are off, you might play a step or two slower. You might not make the check or hear the check that you expected to because everything feels wrong. the defense can afford that right now. The defense cannot afford to play slower. You've talked about it before, but to use your language, Nick, it is like freely handing free momentum to the other offense before the game has kicked off. Mm -hmm. Like Kansas City will effectively start on the front foot without needing to do anything just because of the external factors hanging over Hallis Hall right now. And I mean, if you ask me, that's about as bad news as any organization especially in a situation like this could get. And, and it makes me wonder like, because, and he even talked about this in his presser that he has John Hoke and a few guys on staff that can help him fill in because, you know, even like Andy Reed, right? Andy Reed calls the plays, Mm -hmm. but he still has an offensive coordinator that organizes and scouts and, and, and game plans with him. Without that coordinator, it all falls on the head coach, which in this case would be Matt Eberflus. And so he already has to run the team and the leadership and lead all of the coaches. So it's tough for him to do all of those roles. And it makes me wonder if they'll name an interim, which I think would be better, or if they'll bring in a consultant, which they could. They could bring in somebody that has some experience. You know, I know near and dear to our hearts, Rod Marinelli or uh. Lovey Smith or, you know, people have thrown out names like, but bring in someone to consult who can help organize and take some of the pressure off of Flus, at least for the rest of the year, because we, we're we not even a week three yet. Right. I mean, we have a long season and you wonder, okay, let's say Iberflus goes full defensive coordinator mode. Now how are all of the coaches being evaluated and taken care of and the team, any issues that you have, like everyone goes to him. There's an issue. You go to your head coach, you have to deal with this or that. And so that's a lot on the plate. And I just worry about him and his effectiveness, because as we know, if you put too much on your plate, you become very mediocre at everything. We oh, don't, yeah. we cannot handle mediocre right now. Nobody, nobody can handle dealing with too much. And there are only so many hours in the day. Obviously we've heard stories of how hard NFL coaches work. And to be clear, everybody, we're talking hundred hour weeks. Like the they eat sleep ball and it is it's tough living. It's not an easy life, as far as I understand it. But within that, there's just 
only so much time you can do everything. And I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, Nick, if you get a Battlefield promotion from somebody like Dave Bogonzi or maybe Richard Hightower basically becomes the interim team leader. Not that Flus would be delegating to him, but more that he'd be like, hey, Hightower, when people come with like head coach bullshit, like I need you to handle this (laughs) because I got to call the defense because based on the performance of the defense, if I was Matt Eberflus, I would take it over and I would not give it back. Like, just being honest with you, Nick, the defense has to show. Right now, they're one of the worst defenses in the league. I mean, oh, it, it, it's been that way. I mean, there's there's some kind of a, a a record where if they allow 25 points to Kansas City, it's the worst Bears defensive run they've had of allowing 25-plus points in how many games in a row. And it's so funny because you end up with two things. If you don't mind me segueing just an ooch into us wrapping up the Tampa game because they only gave up 20 points. They didn't give up 27. The offense scored on itself. But on yep. the other side, I thought Tampa kept kind of just shooting themselves in the foot like near the end of a drive where they were doing great. They passed on multiple fourth and ones, if memory serves, just going off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And they had a couple of huge miscommunications or drive-killing penalties where the fact that the Tampa offense just isn't the most talented offense that the Bears are going to face, and that's putting it lightly, really started to shine. And obviously – Heck of a rubber band going from facing an offense that has a quarterback that's playing really well and two sweet receivers and one good left tackle to the best quarterback in football, one of the most dangerous receivers in football. And hey, if there's anything that works, it's that these Chiefs receivers don't play for the Chiefs. They play for whoever's playing the Chiefs so far through this Mm -hmm. season. And maybe the Bears catch another one of these, what, muffed punts, balls off the hands. Like, the Chiefs receivers are nearly scoring as much for opponents as they are for their own team right now. Which is a bit on the wild side. Yeah, I mean, just just talking about that a little bit, I mean – uh, I mean, the Chiefs haven't played well yet this year. I mean, no. they they didn't play well against Detroit, and you could point to a lot of different factors there. They didn't play great against the Jaguars last week. Their defense um, did. Their defense yeah, looked well, awesome. Yeah, they, yeah. Like, well, it, I mean, that's debatable because because then then you see. I think I I believe I have this right. So, um, I think the Jaguars are thirty second in like expected um, or EPA for offense. Like they're mm-hmm. like terrible. But you also have you know, Trevor Lawrence, who's actually playing well. So it's just a weird, like and Calvin and, Ridley's and, balling. Like, yeah, but, and, and Dougie P's not calling plays. So that might be part of it. They have a, a coordinator who's calling plays now. And so will Doug take that back? And that could have had an effect on the game, but either way, it doesn't matter. The defense played well. So Chicago needs to not get, Oh, Hey, Patrick Mahomes at a 10 and Kelsey's back at a 10, because I don't know that they can handle it. I, I don't know that they can either. And I mean, just, Talking about it a little bit, Nick, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, talk me down from this ledge, because when I look at this with as neutral an eye as I can, this feels like your typical get right game for the Chiefs, like trying to take the Chiefs side of things where things haven't been going well, things haven't been going well, no. and then they run up against one of the worst third down defenses in ball that doesn't have a pass rush against a quarterback that if he can sit in the pocket for six seconds and throw the ball into the end zone from his own 20, he's going to try. And like you get suddenly Travis Kelsey goes from clearly limited last week to a week removed from clearly limited. Chris Jones, who's fresh enough is now another week la- into the season. Oh, he was balling last week, though. He was he, already he at was the 10. He was balling. But He's so good. <laughs> I, I sit here and look at this Chiefs team, and I mean, it doesn't help anything that Mahomes took it personally when the Bears passed on him. And 
Who's your offensive coordinator, Nick? You think he's got beef with the Chicago Bears? Revenge game, Matt like, Nagy. And we could talk about revenge games. We take it too far when we go, it's the Kari Blazing game revenge game or something like that <laughs> with a role player. But like Matt Nagy, former head coach of the Chicago Bears, the guy who Patrick Mahomes would go to war for, like at, at Arrowhead, like this feels to me like it, the Kansas City receivers may get in the way of this. I'm just going to be so honest. Oh, yeah. Like, maybe yeah. their team isn't this good. But if Kansas City gets their way, I bet you they try to drop something in the 40s. Like, well, like everybody could say that that's the plan. But I really bet that they would seek to embarrass Chicago in this one. Oh, oh they could. They could. And definitely with how Chicago's played. Now, here's here's the other side of that. Talk me down. You're, you're, you're the Chiefs. Yeah, I'm trying to talk you down. You're the Chiefs. You see the Bears are on the schedule. One, before the season, you're like, Eh, we know what the D-line is going to be. And that's what the D-line has been. And then you see what they've done through two weeks. They've been bad because that's what Chicago has been. Then you see the drama from this week. Eh, I, don't, I don't need to prepare as hard. This is this is the, the game that they sleep on. This is that, okay, we're going to look ahead because we don't need to worry about Chicago. It's so this is, I mean, they the Chiefs lost to, and I, I don't know if he was still on the, if you start at this point, but they lost the Colts last year and the Colts were terrible, right? As we know, I don't know if Matt Ryan was still starting or not, but they lost to them in one of those games where you're like, I, I got eliminated in one of those survivor pools. So I was like, <laughs> what? How did the Colts win this game? So that happens in football. And to me, like that's the only thing that can align here that. And if Justin Fields actually just starts playing football and not being a robot right. that like, you never know. And this is one of those games where it seems like it's, oh, it's clearly this is going to be. And it's like, mm, the NFL reminds you all the time of how things aren't always going to go what you think they're going to go. You know, it's so funny that you talk about that because, first of all, you're absolutely right. Weird stuff happens. And I mean, every athlete that's ever played a sport has gone through this where you took an opponent lightly. You started in, you started thinking about your goal celebration instead of how you were going to score a goal. I played lacrosse, so that's that's what I did. But yeah, yeah. somebody else would start thinking about their touchdown celebration instead of thinking about the play that's going to get them into the end zone. And then you mm -hmm. show up and it turns out they're competing too. And so that can be enough. But I, I think another key piece of this that we need to talk about because you know we we breezed over something at the start of the series or at the start of this podcast but chicago's gonna be marching into the kansas city into arrowhead stadium with a shuffled up offensive line don't we love it don't we love that don't we love uh, being in week what, three especially with chris jones there isn't this our third unique offensive line in three games if memory yeah. serves, because we we started with Nate Davis and that already you could argue was a second offensive line because it's not Tevin Jenkins. And so then Nate Davis is out. We got to put Tyree Carter in. Now Nate Davis is back. So we've got to put Larry Borum in on the outside. And for a Spags team that forgive me, Spags likes to blitz, right? Yeah. And, and, and the thing with Spags is, is he's got a lot of fun tools of, of players with skill sets now that he can do some things with. So, I mean, I mean, if, if we want to talk through a little bit of, of their defense, um, you know, some, some pieces that I like, and again, you know, um, from watching their, their structure, Leo Chenault, I mean, or, or uh, he's done pretty well. Mm -hmm. The linebacker from Wisconsin, um, George Carl office has taken a step this year Stop. as an edge rusher to match 
Chris Jones. They got some decent linebackers, Nick Bolton in the middle there. And then Trent McDuffie has taken a step this year as being a solid, solid corner for them. The, the, the weakness for them, this is the hope, okay? The weakness is the rest of that secondary hasn't played great this year. No. And they like to blitz, which gives you opportunities to run for fields or to throw with some openings. And they also play man cover two, which right. I think is like, okay, we'll hope that, or, or man cover one, which, okay, if they're turning and running, that's going to leave some running lanes for fields as well. You'd sure hope so. And I mean, if there's one thing, as we kind of blend week two film review takes with week three, that really surprised me, man, I don't want to point a finger at Chris Morgan because I gave him a lot of slack for this last year. But we are running on nearly three years straight, Nick, where the Bears cannot handle games up front. It's oh like their offensive gosh. linemen refuse to get any depth. It's like everybody's going to short set all the time and assume that nobody could ever possibly run a stunt. It felt like Todd Bowles very early because we talked about blitzing. and You were totally right. Whole first drive, Todd Bowles sent the blitz. And guess what? The Bears picked it up. Every time. I mean, flawlessly, honestly. And Khalil Herbert Fields did well with the blitz, and we talked about this from week one. Well, Fields did well with a clearer picture. The offensive, mm-hmm. like, I have to give credit where credit's due. The offensive line smoked those blitzes. Khalil mm-hmm. Herbert stepped up, and Fields was thrown against five and six men, and he was precise, and he was yep. really, really good. Tipped caps to everybody, right? And then Tampa realized, well, if he's going to hold on to the ball for four seconds, why would we send extra people? And so I'm curious to see if Spagnola does the same thing, if only because it really did. Like, if you saw what I did, Nick, the Bears offense immediately, immediately ran aground <laughs> as yeah. soon as yeah. they stopped sending and, blitzes. Well, like, t- to me, it's like, okay, so if, if your friend, you know, in, in school took a test and it was first hour and then your friend second hour took the same test and they compared and it was the same answers for stuff. And you're taking it fourth hour and they're like, hey, listen, five, this is the answer. And six, this is the answer. Defenses right now, run as many games up front as you want because Chicago can't pick it up. And Lucas Patrick, again, punting him into the sun. He's the worst center in, in all of PFF in terms of their grading. And, and they have 32 of them in front of him. So one team has two centers in front of Lucas Patrick. And you know, he's it's, crushing the Bears right now. And to talk about it, Nick, one thing I think is hilarious is that I thought Patrick, okay, so. I'm going to start somewhere you probably didn't expect. I thought Patrick was not as bad as his, say, PFF grade, et cetera, suggested he was as a blocker. But we got to talk about this. So I did a bunch of work, and I'm still working on it. I've been strapped on time, blah, 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 typical excuses, right? But I want to put something together that compares a lot of different quarterbacks to Justin Fields' dropback pace because it's really, really funky. And watching other quarterbacks in the league helps you see it. And when I was watching through last night, uh, just again, I noticed every other center doesn't snap the ball across the exterior of wherever the quarterback could possibly catch it. Fields is fishing these things off the turf. He's fishing them way, way, way off his hip pocket. They or Lucas Patrick missed one rep. We put in Doug Feeney, and he immediately misfired and snapped the ball to nowhere. Bro, I have no idea what is going on. But it's you, like it's like these centers are doing it on purpose. It's so inconsistent. You know, one thing that I that I found, and and um, you know, I know that you do, do a ton of film work just like I do. I feel like when when there's a bad snap from Patrick, it's when there's a screen 
And so like a quick screen and he's got to snap it because then he's got to get to there or he's got to have a big reach block. And so he's going and he's rushing it. And and, and Feeney too. Feeney had that one that was really high and right. Okay. And then I believe it was a screen to the left. So I think he's doing that and he's got to get out and get to a block. And I feel like they, again, it's like, it's like a running back. You have to get the handoff before you can make a move. The receiver, you have to catch the ball and tuck before you can make a move. Like you have to snap the ball to him in a, and again, they're not all going to be perfect, but you got to put it in at least a, a two by two area or, or you're not even at NFL level. And you know, it's so funny because what is this? Uh, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me to some degree. Like you and I, Nick, could go through and we could talk through every position on the roster. But the worst part is, so this is, I guess, how I think about it. You tell me if this is nuts. If the wide receivers suck for the Kansas City Chiefs, maybe the wide receivers suck. Maybe Sky Moore just isn't very good. Maybe Kadarius Tony just can't really play consistent receiver. Very possible, especially since the offensive line looks pretty good, save their right tackle, quarterback looks good, tight end room looks good, et cetera, et cetera, right? The Bears have Cole Kmet, who generally knows what he's doing, looking lost out there. I don't know what he thought he was doing on that chip block attempt for, uh, oh for Darnell Wright. I lost Wright. my mind on film on that. It's, it's one of the most unconscionable things that I have ever seen in my life. And then I'm not he gets even in Darnell Wright's way. Like Darnell Wright can't pass. It's a free sack. I mean, it's it's a free sack. It's It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. There's no way that was the plan. Like if they tried to dress it up like it was going to be one thing and then it was supposed to be some kind of quick shuffle chip for Jatiri Carter, that's ridiculous. And we've yeah. completely overthought how football works because as soon as Cole Kmet left, Shaq Barrett went, oh, this is kind of like a pull play and just followed the puller and had a free sack, as free as it gets. But worse, Nick, there were not one. There were two examples of Bears receivers just curling in the same place. Like, I mean, there there are too many examples where instead of settling into coverage on routes like Stick, Cole Kmet just runs himself into the other corner, uh, even as he catches the ball. Like, instead of stopping, presenting for the ball, and turning up field, we just catch it on the sprint and run straight into a DB. Like, let's just say it out loud, Nick. The details in this offense yes. are so bad. They yes. are so bad. We haven't mm -hmm. reached Nagy level where literally you'll get Rashad Coward stepping left and everybody else steps right and everybody bumps into each other. But we're close. Like, yeah. I mean. Well, I mean, well, Claypool thought it was a run play on the on the screen that he got a penalty for. You know, like, these are all. And again, he's he's not a rookie. You know, like, like there's a lot of these guys, they're, they're, it's, it's not Lucas Patrick's first rodeo here. You know, we have veterans that are not on the same page. DJ Moore and Cole Komet being in the same area, they're both veterans at this you, point. You tell me if I'm playing a superstar psychiatrist or if I actually have a point, the body language on the Bears are so bad, especially mm -hmm. when things start to spin out of control. It makes it look like people are tuned out. And again, yeah. This is the week two game you and I are talking about. Mm -hmm. Season, not well, over at all. Well, like, I, how, I, how are we making these mistakes? I got to give a good, a positive body language, okay? We, we got to do this. Was not perfect last week. Chase Claypool. He tried. He brought it. I mean, yeah. couple of, I mean, he had one crushing block. He had another really good block. He had effort after the reception. I mean, that interception at the end. I mean, his hands were on him. He gave it an, an effort. The touchdown, he had a great route on that. At, at the top of that, getting more width, pulling the defender out, and he came back in. Like, he he had a way better game. 
I mean, if I was his agent, I would have berated him after week one. I would have been like, bro, this is your contract year. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? I don't care how much you hate being there. I don't care how much you don't do it. You give me another one of these weeks, I'm not going to be able to get you better than vet minimum at this yeah. rate. Like, oh, yeah. we, you have got to give me more to work with. And he did. It, more to say, Nick, that like I would love to credit Chase Claypool's what his effort to coaching. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like Chase Claypool has plenty of intrinsic reasons to like uh, just related to his circumstance alone to try, and well, it wouldn't surprise me if money was motivating a little bit. L- let me let me digress back to a point that you had, okay? And again, this is going to turn this into a negative, but again, we have to talk about it because you know it it's relevant. Last week, what do we hear from Chase Claypool in the media? Talked to Matt Eberflus. They talked about, oh, well, making a change at receiver, right? And he had just talked kind of kind of very vaguely about Claypool. And people ran with Chase Claypool's going to be inactive. No correction was happened there. His position coach had to go defend him in the media. That can't happen. That can't happen. Can't happen. That's again another leadership thing. Sorry, I know. You know negative, what else, right? No, you know what else can't happen? I, I want to go there. Like, okay, so I, I think, am I am not. We're living in this world right now where if you attack Getsy, you're caping for Fields, and if you attack Fields, you're caping for Getsy. And I hate mm-hmm. it. honestly, both of them are playing. Are they're doing such poor jobs? And yep. yes, of course, I think that the coaching is more interesting to talk about, and frankly, has a bigger effect. Look at John McVay. He's got Puka Nakua playing like Darnell Mooney can't play right now. And Darnell Mooney, yeah. Tutu Atwell is seventh in the NFL in receiving yards as well, and people aren't talking about him. I mean, he's this skinny guy from Louisville in his third year. I mean, he's got – hey, Matt Stafford's back. That's the least talented team – maybe – I'm sorry, not least – third least talented team and they're they're they beat seattle and they were toe-to-toe with the 49ers let's go a step further the packers have brought a knife to a gunfight twice and they almost won the second one like i mean i don't we don't need to talk about desmond ritter but it's more to say that like yeah i mean i'm a coach robert coaching Mm -hmm. matters i know it matters because i can out coach people i know it why on earth why on earth it it doesn't make any sense to me nick that we are going to not only play Trent Taylor on nearly 25 offensive snaps, which is more than we're going to play Bayless Jones, who we activated, by the way. We spent an activated activation slot on Bayless Jones, but we are only going to use Bayless Jones in a formation. I saw Brad Spielberger point this out today on Twitter. Like, within a formation that is the only formation where Bayless tends to get the handoff. Like, bro, we are 19 games into the Luke Getzey tenure. He's already getting solved. Man, what are we doing? Like well, on, on that play, my biggest issue with that play isn't that. But I mean that that is an issue. There's two tight ends that are blocking, right? Oh, they on get the other side of that. <laughs> okay. Cole Komet gets walked back four yards. And then he's got Robert Tunyon, who I think Robert Tunyon has been terrible. 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 Blocking, receiving, terrible. That that second uh, pass incompletion to him. He totally had a terrible release, led the defender there, and Fields had to throw outside for an incompletion. Why wasn't, I mean, we signed some guy who honestly has been the best guy on offense, in my opinion. Mercedes Lewis is a great blocker. So if you're going to run to the left and you get two tight ends over there, maybe put him over there. Who cares if they know it's coming? You know, he can dig out a D end if you need him to. 
I mean, he was a beast. Like Mercedes Lewis, I I have to think it's just a like conditioning thing. I mean, he's 39 years old. Like maybe he just can't play the whole game or maybe they really don't trust him in the receiving game. Not that that's helping anything right now, but summing all this up, Nick, I mean, we could talk matchups because again, what is Spags going to do? I wouldn't, it would not shock me to see Spags basically just tear out Todd Bowles, second quarter, third quarter game plan and run it because the defense that Spags runs makes way more sense when you're attacking Jared Goff, when you're attacking Kirk Cousins, a lot of these quarterbacks where you have to make life harder for them. Right now, I love him. Justin Fields and Luke Getze are making offense plenty hard on themselves. Just drop back, max out the standard difficulty with some kind of seven in coverage, spot drop zone, run a game up front, get Chris Jones on uh, Cody Whitehair, who is not not playing well. This is post-injury Cody Whitehair, but now it's just, this is Cody Whitehair at this point. And you're going to be fine. Like, sure, you may have to quick trigger and rally to the ball to attack Justin Fields. You may give up a couple plays downfield. But at this moment, in my opinion, Nick, the scary part is, is that, so Tim Jenkins recently came out and he talked about Fields' footwork, which I thought was a really, really interesting conversation. Did you hear about this? Yeah, I like Tim. We follow each other. He's a, he's a really good dude. He rules. Uh, he talked about how he thinks that switching Fields' footwork uh, to put his... Right now, Fields has his right foot back in the gun. That He thinks that if you put his left foot back in the gun, it's going to change Fields' timing and get him a little bit more in sync with what's going on. And while that's a great idea in theory, Nick, I don't think Fields has time for things to get worse before they get better. I'm not even playing. Like, to me, it's more of a, this is more a conversation about self-preservation from the coaching perspective. Like, Luke Getze is trying to prove that this isn't his fault already. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, I thought that the call script in the third and fourth quarter got darn near pathetic. Like, calling three screens in a row was pathetic, in my opinion. And I'm not one to normally do that. But Mm -hmm. it was really, really awful. And so... Mm -hmm. I sit here looking at this Bears offense, Chiefs defense matchup, and obviously Justin Fields has a lot to prove. And who knows? His rushing ability might just crack the game open. Very, very possible. But it doesn't help anything that aside from one player who we've now gone 50 minutes and we haven't brought him up, I don't know if the Bears have enough matchup advantages to force Spag's hand. The only way they're going to do it is if Justin Fields rushing tears this thing open and they get DJ Moore going what did you think about everything going on with dj moore how do you think the bears go ahead and maximize him going forward well it's nice that dj moore finally had a hundred yard game and the other thing too that to, to so recognize easy. and we, we we talked about is um darna mooney knee bruise he was limited today so hopefully that's good news he'll be back but i mean one of the things that i think when when that happens right when you don't have the advantages you have to shorten the game and you need to make things simple and to me there's one thing that we could do instead of making this the shotgun drop back, stay in the pocket type offense. What if Justin Fields, I don't know, went under center and we started running the ball and we started running. He could just boot and roll out from there. And because when he is under center, I think he's almost more comfortable. It's things that he's done before. His footwork isn't as inconsistent where quick little steps or really slow elongated steps and the snap isn't going to be all over the place. You have two good backs. We run the ball well. You have a quarterback who can be a threat even from under center with running and booting. What about that? Nick, did I just hear you call for the 2022 mid-year offense? <laughs> like, yes. no, 
We're not passing anymore. We're running it 63% of the time, baby. I, I love our backs. I just love our backs. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. I'm just bummed that that's where we've come to. Does that make sense? Like, but, but, but he still can pass out of that. Well, you can, right? But it's, I don't know. This is where things get so complicated, right? Because I would look at that and I would say, yeah, but that's like assisted passing. Like you can get a lot of the cues. It's like booting, right? There are a lot of people that see boots and they're like, well, boots rule. And I'm like, boots rule, except you don't attack the middle of the field. The Bears offense right now is not attacking that area between five yards and 25 yards in the middle of the field. And when you look at Fields' passing charts, it's just a massive hole, man. And like mm-hmm. the it problem is, is when, when people say you have to win from the pocket, it's really them not saying you can't attack the middle of the field from anywhere else. Like unless you're Josh Allen and you're willing to throw across your body rolling right, which he's done a couple times now, you're going to throw a bunch of picks doing that like which is what fields does over the middle right now he throws a lot of interceptions between the hashes and so i understand because i don't disagree with you nick that at this moment if we can't do it we got to change but also i would love to see my year three quarterback able to attack over the middle of the field i don't want to call it okay let me ask you this how many quarterbacks what do you think the standard is to consider yourself a successful quarterback that cannot attack the middle of the field Mm. Well, that's like a, I guess what I'm getting at is right. because there's one thing, and again, I I believe we talked about this on one of our first podcasts. But um, Ben Solak on the Ringer, they they have this this show, and they talked about play action and how much play action can mask bad to mediocre quarterback play. They talked about it with Ryan Tannehill did this in Tennessee. Jordan Love does it all the time. This in Cleveland, et cetera. But play action only works really well when you're under center. Jared Goff is the perfect example of this. When he's under center and he can hide his body with the ball, then the linebackers have to come up. So that's my idea with this is that you can do some of this play action, even drop straight back and still attack because the linebackers have to respect it. Instead of this, which baffles me, by the way. I know you saw this, Robert. Third and 13. They still have to a play fake to the running back, and so then he gets stupid. into his drop. Like, what are we doing? We're calling PA shot in Madden, right? Forgetting that there's no purpose for that. And speaking stupid. of, another thing that drives me crazy. So I clearly hadn't done enough study on specifics. Sometimes you don't learn something, Nick, until you go take the time to learn it. And I'd never watched QB's feet as many times as I had until last Saturday. And I did not realize how uncommon shotgun seven-step drops are, which is awfully weird because that's 35% of the Bears' offense. And every other team is calling two of those plays per game, maybe, and they usually don't work. And then you hear guys like Tim Jenkins talk, and they say that a shotgun five-step is a standard seven-step. And you realize... Oh my word, our entire offense is seven and nine step drops. This is like mm-hmm. if I don't want to go there, but this is like if you asked a Twitter fan, hey, what would you do for Justin Fields? Well, I just throw a bunch of deep passes. And what do you do for deep passes? Well, I just drop back really far. Like, I don't want I don't want to give too much credit where credit isn't needed, but you go back and you watch some of the better games from 2021, and Fields is only dropping three steps, five steps from the gun explicitly and everything else is under center and i'm not the the worst part nick is that i don't know how much of this you could change overnight like if luke getsy thinks this is working like if luke getsy believes in the offense he could easily be spending those tuesday meetings bringing in matt eberflus circling an open dj Moore, and saying 
my court, I can't work with this. Yeah. Like I, he's just got to hit this. But there's so many things that you look at. I look at within this offense. Like you watch what Miami's doing right now. Tua takes three step drops nearly all the time. It is just often it's a one step. It's like a yep. one big gather step. As I he believe pulls he's got. I believe he's only gotten hit once all season so far, and he doesn't have his left tackle either. And like, I get that that's Tua. So let's talk about somebody else. Like, let's talk about Lamar Jackson, whose footwork is pristine in the pocket, and he's only taking three, maybe occasional yep. five step drops. Josh Allen, when he's in a five step gun drop, the ball comes out at that fifth step because there's just not that much time for it to be anything else. Do you feel like the routes are well synced to the drops? <laughs> No, so so okay. Now you're gonna get into my quarterbacking background. So so feet, in my opinion, are everything with a quarterback. Your feet, they determine your balance. They determine your accuracy. I mean, if you overstride, you understride. All the stuff goes together. But there's a a few purposes with your drop. One, get away from the defense as quick as possible, so you don't get a sack, blitz, you know, immediate pressure, whatever. The other one is, and this is goes back to me studying with, you know, about Bill Walsh and Joe Montana, etc. You're, when you hit that back step, that's when you were supposed to be looking at your first read and then you would throw there. And then if not, then you would hitch or you would shift, depends on if you can step up in the pocket to your second read. Like everything goes together just like a perfect puzzle. But right now it's a chaotic puzzle, which I don't know, we might have pieces of puzzle here, some Legos here, some Lincoln logs here, like none of it goes together. And it's, and I'm not sure that Fields knows, okay, this drop goes with this or this goes with that. And so he's taken this really short, elongated thing. And then when he's at the top of his drop, which I saw last week, the number one read isn't even out of his break yet. These so seven drops take so long to, to break. I don't know yeah. what offensive coordinator <clears throat> thinks that you're going to get nearly any of these routes to resolve on time because they take forever, Nick. And like, these are the kinds of routes that you should be looking at either alerting off of at the, at the start of like before the play has ever happened, yep. or you should be getting to them third so that it's implied that you hit a five, maybe one of these weird seven step drops. And then on your second hitch, you get to that next read. It is wild watching other quarterbacks and seeing how explicit their hitches are where Derek Carr goes hit like feet out to read one feet slightly more in to read two feet all the way to the right to year th or to read three. And then he just flicks the ball to the check down. Cause you don't really need your feet to do that. You're, mm -hmm. you're exactly right. That footwork is everything. And I actually don't know. Like, yes, I'm going to point the finger at Getsy and be like, what on earth are we doing here? But I don't know. Is there's, it a Fields problem? Is it a Getsy problem? Yeah. There, there's one other theory that I have, and um, I, I found this before with athletic quarterbacks. I found this when I studied RG3 back in the day with Washington. Um, a few other quarterbacks that's got it kind of coming out. When you're athletic, um, it's almost like you're, and I don't know if this is why they're slowing him down. You can get to your drop too quickly quicker than the average quarterback and it doesn't time things up per perfectly. So then they want him to go slower because you can also, Oh, I'm going to avoid the rush. I'm going to quickly move here and I'm going to go too far. Like you have too much athleticism within the pocket. Like, like you want to talk about great footwork. It doesn't take athleticism. Tom Brady and Peyton Manning had great footwork, great a footwork. good base. Drew Brees, great bases. And they're probably some of the least athletic quarterbacks we have seen. And I don't know if that's part of it as well, but it's not synced. And honestly, it makes, it throws fields off almost like, 
when you have Mahomes and Allen and Russell Wilson, when they're just like freelancing, that's almost what it feels like on every play. It's like, okay, now you just have to freelance it. And he's not good enough yet at that point, just to be like, I don't care what the drop is. I'll be ready to throw then because like, for example, here, there was the one play when I believe it was Tyler Scott was coming in on a dig and he was the oh, broke route my heart. The he got so open. And so fields, looks left and that and, and let's say scott was the third read he looked left not there center was trent taylor trent taylor was i mean he could have maybe layered it but i'm gonna say not really there and then he felt a little pressure so then he moves to the right and when he does he finally looks at, at scott and when he looks and he's open he can't throw because his feet aren't set that's what we're talking about the feet have to be set in order to throw the football and then and then actually he comes back i think to commit and throws a completion which doesn't make a lot of sense why he came back there anyways it Your worked. feet have to be linked up, and they're not right now. And they're not. And the offense doesn't even ask him to be sometimes. Because seriously, there are some of these offensive concepts where it's like they expect the ball to get thrown at the three-second mark. Uncommon. Like, that's it's weird yeah. seeing all these long-resolution routes, but maybe they feel like Fields can't do anything else. I, I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is where I remember with Mitch and Nagy, it was the chicken or the egg. Is it that Mitch can't do it? Is it that Nagy is a bum? And yeah, yep. we we don't know. And we won't know. Right? I mean, I mean, is is it is it Jocko, his quarterback coach? I, I is it son? the receiver coach, receiver coach not telling them where to be in the I mean, it we don't know, but right now it's not working. So something has to massively shift. Mm -hmm. And I wish I knew the Kansas City corners better. I wish I had a better scouting report on this Kansas City defense. I didn't get a ton of time to watch them. But if there is one thing that's going well for the Bears right now, now and future, DJ Moore looks unbelievable, I yes. think. Like, he's not let, – let me say this the way that I, I really want to. I don't think DJ Moore is winning routes at the rate that some other wide receiver ones are. Not because he sucks. He's open an awful lot. But what's really working is that on, I'd say, more routes than most, Nick, he's, oh my word, open, right? Like, when DJ Moore is open, you're talking neon signs pointing in his direction. <laughs> like, yeah. everything's there. And then mm -hmm. he's breaking the first tackle like it's written in the code. Like yep. it's in the script for him to even, like even the hitch generate, when yeah, the corner's yeah. right there. It, somehow it just doesn't he matter. It. it just doesn't matter. Like yep. you're you're looking at one of the most obvious cases of just feed this guy the ball. Like yep. let him go get 220 yards passing for you. And then you can just get 80 to everybody else and you're on your way to 300. Like mm -hmm. DJ Moore looks every bit the part of a wide receiver one. And the only thing I'm worried about, and again, if I sound worried, it's because the offense is worrying. Can I be so honest about that? Well, you don't know what's going to happen with it. Every other play, it's like it. It honestly, it just feels like. And again, there's a lot of stuff that that Fields needs to work on. But everybody, it's like ten guys will do their job right, and then it's a false start. So, like for example, what this drove me nuts, Robert. Roshan Johnson has the long run. Awesome. Here we go. We're in Tampa territory. It's going to click now. And then Braxton Jones false start, first and fifteen. And then we have the bootleg. Fields rolls out, throws a dime to Cole Commit on the sideline, catches it, feet down, doesn't tuck the ball away and gets it knocked away. It's like we just can't. Everyone does something wrong in every play. And weirdly enough, you mentioned something, but let's go back to it. Uh, do you realize how well the Bears running backs ran the ball on Sunday? Oh, well. 
Like, no, I, I, what's the efficiency? I didn't see that. The, specifically, I'm looking at, we're talking just basic yards per carry. Khalil Herbert had seven carries for 35 yards, five yards per carry. We like that. Roshan Johnson, who obviously cracked a long one, had four carries for 32 yards. So not nearly as efficient. Yes, it's eight yards per carry. But like yeah. you're looking at 29 yards and three one-yarders in one fashion or another. But the read option with the handoff to the running back was winning. Like we were getting five and seven yards. There was a time last year we would have ridden that all the way down the deck of field. Like the worst part is this this brings back bad memories from 2019 where it's as if Getsy decided, sweet, we got these receivers. We got a better offensive line. We're going to win through the air now. And the quarterback isn't winning through the air for a bazillion reasons that we've gone through. And it something's got to change because yeah. if we're going to run a super rushing offense, you better do it soon. And it sucks that we lost our second best run blocker because Darnell Wright has actually been really, really strong on his yep. side. But yeah. Yeah. like, it, it's too bad that we lost Braxton Jones, potentially on the eve of running the ball a billion times. But eventually, anything you got to say about the offense, because eventually we got to talk about the defense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean the, the only last thing I want to say is the, the one thing besides being under center, if we are in the gun, the one thing that I would love to see Let's start running quarterback power. Let's start running what Jalen Hurts runs. Cool. You're going to empty it out. We're going to pull a blocker. We're going to trap. We're going to get downhill. And we're and because we have to figure it out if we can do this. And honestly, that's going to be super efficient offense. So mm. let's do it. Nick, Nick, no. You're football wise, you're right. Football wise, you're right. People get hurt doing this. Like Jalen, Jalen Hurts is okay. <laughs> Jalen Hurts is a tank and that's not to say Fields isn't it's like we're looking you see you see guys like Anthony Richardson he's out like Cam Newton struggled with enough injuries Justin Fields has left the game I think now like seven different times for injuries like it's not that I disagree with you Jalen Hurts definitely does but like I I am always one who wants to be careful when it comes to the quarterback run stuff but I I don't know you can call me a coward and I will live with it because to me, Nick, I see it as the moment we lean too hard into the quarterback run stuff, we are sacrificing potential growth for something that's going to work now, but it might not work in three years. But right now, three years from now doesn't matter. Like, I don't well, even that, think we're guaranteed it. week 10. So to your point, it's a it's about time to start. And yep. the only the only issue that I have, let's use an example, Nick. So Justin Fields, let's say third drive, sprains his shoulder. Or maybe not even sprains, but like something feels wrong, right? And out of nowhere, Patrick Mahomes makes a patented Patrick Mahomes mistake. They do happen. And he throws an interception. Sudden change. Fields is still getting his shoulder looked at in the blue tent. Tyson Bajan goes out there. Nightmare, in my opinion. Because like once Cat's out, once Genie's out of the bottle, it's going to be hard to put him back in. Not because oh, I sit here. The Bailey Zappi stuff? Is that where you're at? Yes. We saw Mac Jones get benched. We saw Who Mac cares? Jones get benched in a real game in week seven. We want success. Does it matter how it happens? <laughs> Doesn't it a little? Isn't this season no, about no, because, Justin Fields? Because here's the deal. Fields has to do it this year or he's gone. We, we agree. Right. We haven't done it through two weeks. And what defenses are doing, they're not allowing him to boot or to roll out, and they're waiting for him on, on zone. Basically so just fencing him into run. the pocket. So he can't run. Right. So this is how you're going to run. If you're going to wait out there, cool. We'll go empty or we'll let the back 
and, and that then you have a numbers advantage and and he still can run five yards and get down eight it's, yards and get down it's a good offensive plan like if, if this was a if we were coaching a game you and me and our families were on the line for some horrible anime reason right? oh wow like <laughs> well, I, where are we going with this one Rob? i'm more saying like the stakes are high to the point where we have one game and we have to win it that's a great game plan right now it really is it's probably the game plan that i imagine the bears are going to roll out right now because you got to treat this game like a must win. Wait, wait, wait. Are you are you saying that because Getsy listens to us? Remember, we talked about what you know in the last podcast. Uh, unfortunately, I'm saying it because good offensive coordinators tend to be predictable. Is that bad? Like, I mean, generally, yeah. two guys on the internet can anticipate what offensive coordinators that aren't super innovative are St- probably going to do. Don't listen to us, okay? Don't listen. But at the same time, Nick, like, I'm just going to go back to it calling a play action bootleg on the first play of a second half where you didn't call much play action was you something that anybody would have done. And in that moment, Green Bay had him. <laughs> like, well, well, and, and what I would love is that, you know, like Green Bay does this super well. If you're going to go play action, do play action on stretches and then have him drop straight back. That way you're not going to get the edge. Right. You're holding you, you know, and then, and then it gives you time. Like it all... <gasps> goes together like an offense should uh nothing goes together in this offense but we have talked enough about them we've got yeah. we, we're we're on a surprising you and i are trying i know to keep this a little more pitched in we we set a deadline at an hour Jeez, and a half we're, we maybe we don't have to talk about no no there's something i gotta mention about this defense because there's a a narrative out there that Matt Eberflus's defense can't work without a better defense defensive line. And to some degree, that's definitely true. But I will tell you what, for all the talk about Jalen Carter, the Bears have an elite defensive lineman on yes. their defensive line right now. Yes. I don't know what Andrew Billings did in this offseason. Like the best shape of his life stuff, for once, they meant it. They were trying to tell us something because Andrew Billings is, if memory serves, I'm going entirely off the top of my head. He is second in total PFF grade on pass rushes. Uh, He is fifth in total pressures. He is fifth in their pressures per snap metric. He's fifth in pass rush win rate. I'm starting to feel bad about some of those specific, but they're all top 10. Uh, He's fifth in pass rush win rate at 25%. And coincidentally, Nick, the down he doesn't tend to play is third down. And which, which down are we poor in? <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, he's no, and, and you're right. So he's second. And, and this is among interior D linemen. He's second in PFF um, pr- pass rushing grade. He's the ninth overall best interior D lineman and our defense. And, and again, like you think of like, we got to spend, we got to get one of these guys, Javon Hargrave, pretty good guy last year, Where got a lot of money, went to the 49ers. He's 12th, Jonathan Allen. We hear all about him. He's 13th, Deron Payne. He's going to, we're going to get him. He's 14th. We have a guy better than that. And our defense is still bad. And it's, it, to me, the maddening part about this is that, so I've seen a lot of people talk a lot about Tyreek Stevenson, and I don't know how you feel about rookies in the NFL, but when you send Tyreek Stevenson one-on-one, multiple scenarios, in blitz scenarios, where he's sitting as a bird on a fence, like right in front of the sticks, not anticipating anybody to go over his shoulder, because he doesn't think the quarterback's going to have time to get there, like, the Hall of Famer is going to beat your rookie. Like, Mike Evans is a Horrible matchup. Great learning matchup. But I'm not surprised Tampa leaned on it. I'm disappointed that the Bears kind of gave it away 
like they did. And another thing I wanted to ask you about from a coaching perspective, I only just over the off season learned the term blitzing from depth. Do you feel like Matt Eberflus is prioritizing his disguises a bit too much? Because the blitzes that we've seen in many of these cases for Baker Mayfield with proper anticipation, he was able to get a throw off without even taking a quarterback hit because the free runner that the blitz created literally did not have the foot speed to get home, which is why you normally see so many blitzers just stack up on the line and basically make it obvious do you think there's any truth to that idea that this like Eberflus super disguise heavy let's blitz from seven yards, eight yards, 10 yards off in some cases is intrinsically problematic? I no, I like blitzing from depth. I like disguising because to me, to me, it's the um, if you can see it coming, then, you know, you can throw hot when you don't see it coming. That's when you get turnovers. Like the, the, the quarterback gets completely laid out. They don't see the guy coming at all, or they don't see the rotation because they went play fake. Remember we talked about this with Jared Goff, right? Jared Goff, when he turned his back in with the Rams and then he comes back and it's a completely different picture. That's when you're going to start getting turnovers or hesitations and sacks. So I like the disguising a bunch. It might be, we just don't have the personnel yet, or we don't, we haven't, been used to it enough yet i mean i mean flus has only done it himself for one week and it did look completely different it just didn't get results that were any different and right. in fact some of these cover two calls i think get as obvious as they get maybe i'm just complaining that's very possible but it feels like on third and long third and eight plus they are calling cover two and I would love to see us not at some point. Maybe we'd stop giving up these massive gashes down the sidelines, right, Nick? Cover four. I want to cover four. Come on. It doesn't help anything that Eddie Jackson and Jaquan Brisker missed major chunks of that last game. And mm-hmm. the same thing we talked about early in the season, safety depth reared itself as quite an issue in that one. Because, yep. I mean, he's a seventh round pick. I'm always going to be relatively kind to players that I don't think were drafted to play heavy roles, but I don't really want Elijah Hicks as a long-term backup safety if I got to choose. No, no. And I, and honestly, as a coach, I would do exactly what Tampa did. Okay, who's the worst guy in the secondary? Oh, we're going to pick on Stevenson. Oh, you're going to sub out Jalen Johnson? I'm going to go pick on Terrell Smith for a snap. Oh, Eddie Jackson's hurt. Okay, Elijah Hicks. Oh, they're both out. Now I'm going to pick on the. They just picked on the weakest link all the time. And it's a it's a good idea. And, and here's the problem, though. They, have, they got a ton of yards on Chicago. But just like in week one, when Green Bay took their shots for big plays, they hit. And Tampa took their shots for big plays, and they hit as well, although some offensive pass interference helps. But either way, the at some point, we have to stop teams from hitting their big plays and make them make all these small plays down the field. And then you're going to force some turnovers. Then you're going to get some stops. And that didn't happen in the first half and drive, but it started happening in the second half. So that might give us a little hope. Well, it's so funny you say that because I can't help but feel like the Bears can't do anything on third down that's actually flummoxing an opposing offense. I've seen them throw up to six-man blitzes, like a six-man total pressure, and they're not getting home. At least they're not getting home fast enough. Blitz getting home is so funny to me. I I feel like Nick, because on a normal passing play, you could sit back there for up to four seconds. On a blitz passing play, if you hold for two and a half, ball should come out. And somebody's probably going to be open. Like the timers speed up. And Mm -hmm. it's just wild because Billings in particular, like 
this sounds hyperbolic, doesn't it? Don't we sound like two people that got really, really excited about this one guy that got listed oh as six God. pressures as so like good. In one game? He's dominating. Like he's throwing guys around. And, and uh, wait, the, I didn't expect this because he's a run stuffer. Yes, I did not. I, this pass rush thing. I mean, he must have went to what, what the the pass rushing schools that they have and just learned some new things because he's a different guy. Home dog went out there and wished upon a star, and his his wish got granted because some of these Paul like he's moving around like a dancing bear at the snap. Gets his hands underneath. In particular, it helped that it looked like he was overpowering the center at will. So we'll see how he's able to hold up against. Uh, it's Creed Humphrey, right for Kansas City. Yeah, their yep. center. He's, we'll he's see good. how Billings holds up against that. J- Joe would, Tooney's good too. Guard wouldn't surprise me if Billings doesn't play as well as he has. But that's not a dunk on Billings in particular. It's more pointing no. out that there are a lot of centers in the league that aren't aren't super great, and so well, you get a nose tackle that can whoop, and you're going to look like Dexter Lawrence in a hurry. The, the other thing with that though is actually both of those guys haven't played up to the potential that they've they've been at recently uh, like the past few years they've had a rough start to the season as well so you, you i mean again like i said kansas city's not playing great so there's a right. few of these guys that i mean again we talk about chicago like we could talk about the defense who actually maybe i'll just lead into that i've been very disappointed with our linebackers i think Tremaine edmonds had a better game but tj edwards man like i i was i was more excited about you than Tremaine edmonds what are you and, looking and, for that you're not seeing i i think he's a little lost I feel like this system, and again, maybe that's because he played middle last year and now he's he's a weak side linebacker, but he seems a little lost to me in terms of communication, where he needs to be, and I think he's a step slow then. So I can't tell if I'm nitpicking. You tell me if I'm nitpicking, but I feel like I can see little teaching issues throughout the defense. Like this can be as simple as like you're talking about the fact that TJ Edwards does look a little lost and you'd swear that half the time Tremaine Edmonds plays the play the way that he like the bears are doing it. And half the time he plays it the way Buffalo would have done it. And sometimes I like the Buffalo way more, but to your point, it's not consistent enough. And then you look at some of these, this is so specific, but I sent this over to a DB coach friend of mine and he got back to me and confirmed what I was worried about. There are two plays in particular where the Bears called cover two against three by one sets. And when the offense ran a go route down the sidelines, the corners would let them release to the outside. Like you saw Tyreek Stevenson and Terrell Smith on different occasions put their hands on the guy. But like, yes, you're technically you're going to consider that a reroute. But like, you got to get that guy into the sidelines. Like you can't just let him walk around you. And if it's one guy, we can blame it on one guy. But I'd swear to you, man, it's like, it's everybody. And at what point do we then start calling into questions? Okay, so we're seeing a lack of detail on the offense. If we don't see a lack of, if we see a lack of detail on the defense, because I would argue the defense is being carried more by individual talent when things go well. Do you feel the same? Like, oh yeah, that's, that's Jalen Johnson being a stud. That's Eddie Jackson hasn't really had to get his man more than a couple of times, but Jaquan Brisker has impressed me. I think Tremaine, when he's good, looks like one of the Bears best players. In my opinion, he is so big. He is so athletic. I will give him the longest leash on earth because he's playing with a generally poor defensive line. And Mm -hmm. I, 
God, if I, if I was a coach, I would just love to, to talk, like to work with a guy like him because he can do things for your coverage of like, units that nobody else can. Yep. And Billings has been the biggest surprise because, again, for all the people talking about Jalen Carter, the Bears have a defensive lineman right now. I'm not even being hyperbolic, Nick. He is statistically rivaling Dexter Lawrence. Yep. And they signed him for a one-year deal. Like, yep. he does this for six more weeks. You got to start talking extension. Because, yeah. you, like, you got to get this guy under contract before he basically rakes you over the coals. Because uh, mm-hmm. we're, anyways, all this to say that the foundational ideas behind the defense are really bothering me. Why do we see a three by one set? What What have you seen your entire life when you've got a cover two call on and you like the offense comes out in a three by one set? What happens? Well, if I'm the outside corner that you're you're rerouting and pushing him inside and funneling him to your safety and you're hoping that your Sam is probably doing the same to number three and you're you're pushing again like what happened to DJ Moore and Cole Komet and DJ Moore and Chase Clifford you want to put the receivers close to each other yes shorten the passing windows to make it easier to cover all three and that's if you play cover two most defenses that I've talked to check out of it like, as yeah. soon as you see a three-by-one set, you're like, we got to get out of cover, too. We don't have enough guys over here to, well, to well, make sure if, that we've spaced well, this. Well, most of the time, if we stayed in that, then then your your safety on that side would be over number two. Right. Then he would have that half. And then your other safety would be almost middle of the field, and he, he would play um, poach, so he would he would have number three. Right. And like I'm cool vertical. with that. But we aren't doing that. Instead, right. we're getting Elijah well, Hitt- yeah. What, what happened on that screen? Third down. They had four guys over there. We had two. That's that's peewee basic. What are we doing? That's what I'm saying, man. Like, Alan, the former defensive coordinator. I don't know. How am I supposed to talk about this? Like, the Green Bay game looked so passive and messy and, like, everything else that we've seen. And Matt Eberflus brought a bunch of fun disguises. Like, for sure, the Matt Eberflus defense looked like it had a greater purpose. But then on third downs, we would just revert to being one of the most boring defenses on the face of the earth. We'd ask Dominique Robinson and Rasheem Green and Demarcus Walker to go be our dogs. And uh, bad, bad news, bad news. This just in. A breaking news. They're not our dudes. <laughs> you you know me and Rasheem Green. I mean, it's I think I looked this up. I can do this while we're while we're chatting, but I think Dom Rob is the only only defensive guy that's in the top. Um man, I'm gonna you you can keep going. I'm gonna I'm gonna get this though. I have a stat. I think Dom Rob is the only top D, DN we have in the top 50 among the entire NFL. I think he plays the least too. Like right. Yannick is playing a lot and Justin Jones is not doing anything on, on nearly any down. And Terrible. I mean, that's, that's fine. We didn't ask this defense to be amazing. To be honest, that's part of why I'm looking at these coaching things and I'm saying they got to get fixed, man, because I tell the way I'm approaching this season right now. Hey, who knows? Maybe they beat the chiefs. And if not the chiefs, they'll have a huge test huge test against a Broncos team that if the game goes well for the bears, it will be a shootout because this defense, like the Broncos offense, as I understand it is, is low key clicking. It's low key. Like they obviously haven't won, but it could very well be two Oh and three teams. And the Broncos defense is kind of struggling right now, at yep. least as I understand but, it. Besides Patrick Sertain, who is amazing. Well, so, but I, I, so I found, yeah. because DJ Moore 
yeah. really, really, really beat Patrick Sertain a couple times yeah, last time they played. But go so, back. So, so here, here's here's your stat for you. Okay, so out of the overall grade, and again, this is PFF, everybody, um, for defensive ends, Dominic Robinson is 56th. Chicago doesn't have another guy in the top 100. That's how bad defensive end has been so far. But let me let me give some optimism, Robert, because I I'm generally an optimistic person for the defense in general. Okay, mm-hmm. so we have rookie corner. We have again a, a new nickel. Who, by the way, uh, update here: Josh Blackwell limited practice today with that hamstring so that gives you a little hope that would be great if stroman wasn't one of the best defensive players on the field like it's that's one of those where i'm not even trying to stump for Stroman. oh yet what hold (laughs) on come on come on so so sorry so i know i see we get all hyped about this so so stevenson's rookie right you got two new linebackers in the middle again we have a new nickel whoever it is not kyler gordon Brand new defensive line besides Justin Jones, who, by the way, is not good. I didn't think he was good last year. I thought we should have got rid of him and saved that money along with Lucas Patrick. Anyway, maybe the optimistic part of this is they need time to gel together because they're all new pieces. They need a few games, not just training camp and scrimmages. They need a few games to come together, and they'll come together, and they will click better because, as we know, over history, Flus has had top 20 defenses every year and now that it's his defense and these pieces the, the pieces he handpicked him and pulls we need these guys in the middle we want these guys and we got a couple of rookies at d tackle as we know too who we they've flashed a little bit dexter had a couple of good flashes last game maybe it will click it could click in week three it could click in week 10 but i think it will get better once they can communicate and figure out their roles more i agree with you the only trouble that i have is that in the NFL, if you can't pressure the quarterback, he will beat you, especially the modern NFL. Quarterbacking is in a weird place right now, if you feel the way I do about it, where on one hand, we don't have the top-level quarterbacks. Like, yes, we have Mahomes, sure, but he's kind of in his own little category. We don't have that, like, Brady, Rodgers, Breeze, uh, Manning, like, category that was so thick when we were just a couple years ago and we said, literally all of these guys are first ballot hall of famers. I don't have to mm-hmm. ask. Like they are all going to the hall of fame. I have no questions about it. Instead, we've got this very large list of quarterbacks that are competent, right? If you give Jimmy Garoppolo three and a half seconds in the pocket, he will probably find somebody. If you give Baker Mayfield three and a half seconds in the pocket, oh he will probably find somebody. And so I can't help but like this is a big game for me I, I, within reason. Honestly, if you if you've already listened to me enough, you know that I'm probably not super duper stoked about this one just because it's it's a rough rough matchup. It's the wrong quarterback so, to to give a bunch of time to. So let's put a bow on this. Let's put a bow on this whole thing. Well, let me finish. This okay, I, this go. will be my bow. This will be my bow. As I understand it, the West Coast was invented to beat Tampa too. Wasn't it like quick fire spacing, get three guys into like into all into one area, spread out the defense Mm. and quickly bullet the ball into space for an eight yard chunk. We move on to the next play. I can't remember which got invented when. So you tell me because it wouldn't surprise me if you've studied it more. But I thought this came up to check the defense that we play, right? Well, well, West Coast was earlier. I mean, Tampa 2 wasn't until about Monty Kiffin. 
late nineties. Yeah. But, backwards. But, but, but still, I mean, um, West coast is timing based and short passing and, and basically the short pass is an extension of the run game and Tampa two is just keep everything in front of you. So honestly, it is somewhat of a bad matchup, which we'll see, man. But like, <laughs> that, I don't know. It's so funny because I think everybody's going to be focused on the context of Justin Fields and I wish the Bears got a better chance to run the ball. I hope they get a chance. But man, if they just, it could be anything. It could be anything, Nick. And it has been anything. Like it could be Larry Borum comes in and he holds very quickly and a drive dies. And then the ball gets turned over off a punt to Patrick Mahomes, who scores. And if the Bears fall behind by two scores, you're not going to be able to just run the ball into the ground anymore. Like maybe you can, but a lot of teams won't. They'll feel pressure to pass. And that could lead to an expose that I don't think anybody wants to be a part of. And I hope doesn't happen. I'm cheering for Justin Fields. I think there are a lot of things working against him right now is all I would say, right? Because to be honest with you, Nick, I think that this would be a phenomenal time for the bye week. It obviously would be unbelie- or unrealistic, but like- Or, or, or the mini bye. Or the mini buy, like yep. if Fields could play a Thursday night game where you get that like shorter scouting report, truly just going out and balling might actually be the preferred yes. plan in the first place, and then yep. you get ten days to work something else out and fix things. That'd be ideal, but it's not. It's not what's happening. They don't yep. get the mini buy until week five, right? Yep. Is it? Yeah, is yeah. it week there, five? There, there's one early. Yep. And so they got it. They got to keep trucking, and with the locker room in the state that it's in. It feels like the Bears are going to pour their soul into this game. They poured the soul in the last one. They blocked field goal. You know a team is humming when they when they block a field goal for crying out loud, and they couldn't close the game out. And so mm-hmm. I I am upbeat. At the end of the day, this is a season where <laughs> Nick, I'm about to say the saddest thing I think I've ever said to you. Oh man! At the end of the day, this is a season where Darnell Wright gets better. Tyreek Stevenson gets better. Like Tyreek Carter gets better. We see what Nate Davis is going to be in the future. DJ Moore is proving his worth on every single play. Like there's a lot of reasons, no matter what happens, to continue watching because the development is fun and the future is bright, literally no matter what. Mm-hmm. But this could be the bloodiest game on the schedule. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if- oh, 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 yeah. Well, that and then we have this middle stretch of teams, which honestly aren't looking great, like New Orleans and the Chargers. So like, yeah, this is this right now is going to be the toughest game. So. I mean, I'm with you. I mean, we we want the Bears to succeed and there's optimism and there's pessimism and there's. I mean, Juwan Taylor got benched last week. The Kansas City's right tackle and they and I, so let's put this out there. They have scored 37 total points in two games. Bad. They, they have not been who they have, you know, been, I mean, Super Bowl champions. I mean, great players. They haven't clicked yet. This could be the get right game for them, or they could just be looking forward to playing at the Jets the week after because they know it's a really tough defense. What is your prediction? Or do you want me to go first? If, if you asked me what my heart wants, my heart wants Justin Fields to score 24 points and the Bears to hold the Chiefs to something below 40. So I will say that the Bears gracefully lose 35 to 24. But what do I think is going to happen? I think, Nick, and I'm going to say this because I'm wrong a lot. Like, if I say it, it tends to exactly not happen, and I will deal with that. Um, But so I'll hope to reverse curse the Bears because I think 
something goes wrong early outside of the bears control. I'm talking like a, a garbage snap, right? Or maybe not outside the bears control, but outside of Justin Fields control, a bad snap. Claypool runs the wrong route. A run play sets you up on second and 11, whatever it is, right? And that things start to spiral because the bears org right now seems like they're in a tailspin and even worse, Nick in week two, I thought the bears let those early sacks ruin almost a quarter and a half before they were able to pull themselves out of it. And they did that in week one too, where after the second half of the third quarter, the game might as well have been over because the offense just fell into a funk. If yeah. they fall into a funk, I wouldn't be surprised if KC takes advantage, but maybe the defense surprises me. That yeah, that would so, be my hope. All right. So 35, 24 from you mm -hmm. again, heart, what I want, my gut. Uh, I'm going to go 31-21 Kansas City. I think they do score more points than they have, but I do think Chicago scores a few more points than they have. Um, but I, my optimism is going to tell me that Justin Fields plays better. I think that the team plays better. And in a way, both teams, it's their get-right game. So that's that, that's what I hope for. And last week, this is going to shock some people. I've, I, I've defended Chase Claypool a lot. Okay, on Twitter, etc. Chase Claypool was in my starting lineup in a fantasy league. <laughs> it worked out okay for me. Okay, so you mad man? I know, I know, man. right? I or or I have Marty McFly Sports Almanac. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give away all my secrets. Okay, but <laughs> um, I think I think that Chicago plays better. And I think it's going to give them momentum for the next week. I mean, they'll need it because if basically I would argue, Nick, it, you tell me, we'll wrap up with this. This is the end of the show. I feel like the Bears are in a position where every single game is a must win until something happens between Tuesday and Friday to change the formula because this game is a must win. And if they don't win it, the Broncos game is a must win. And if they don't win it, the Washington game is a must win. And that's why you hear the NFL dodge. You better get that first win early because even just one can, if it's, it's the, what it's the binding agent that sets your, your team's locker room until you get that win. Nothing's in place. We, right. What Chicago needs is last year, week one fields, avoids a sack rolls left, finds Dante Pettis across the field, big play touchdown. Justin Fields runs for these crazy long touchdowns. So just like Chicago needs one of those kinds of plays. And it was like, oh, okay. Like what we thought was happening isn't happening. And let's go. Because right now we're cautious. We're overthinking. It's, it's again, the golf swing analogy. We need to grip it and rip it. And we need to, you know, you hit that one right down the fairway. You get some confidence. Like, okay, let's go. I'm going to have a good round. That's what needs to happen. That's what's got to happen. And we'll see. But until the game happens, we have been Bear With Us. I'm Robert Schmitz, editor-in-chief of DeBear's blog. You can find my work on my YouTube channel, Robert Schmitz, which you're probably watching this on, or you're listening to us on Spotify. And either way, do give us a rating. We want to grow this podcast and make it the best Bears podcast that we can for you. Nick, where can folks find your work, and what do you do on Fridays? <laughs> yeah, so um... – Nick Whalen at underscore Nick Whalen uh, on Twitter, football guys. Uh, I have my DFS article that comes out on Fridays, as Robert said. But I did 
make a YouTube video if you want to yes. catch that of every single pass play broken down and some run plays of Justin Fields last week. So I know, you know, people have the JTO Sullivan's or the Tim Jenkins, who I greatly respect those guys. They didn't do every play. I did because I'm a madman. So if you want to watch and look analysis of every of every play, um, and I, again, I do have coaching background, Division One college. So it's, this isn't just shooting from my hip. Um, you'll you'll learn something. So uh, that those are my works. Man, thank you so much for jumping on. As always, you guys have a great rest of your week. Bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with us.